Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me for another great conversation to help you up your game and find more success in the world of talent development. And this episode is really for anybody in HR or talent development or really anyone who's building a new team or building a team or connecting a team, especially in this hybrid and remote world that many of us work in and live in now in the post-pandemic world that we're in, I guess. Is it post? I don't really know. I just know a lot of people are still working remotely and in hybrid environments. My guest today is Katie Purcell, who leads people teams at Calendly, providing leadership in L&D, business partnership, operations, tech, and analytics. Katie and I first met at the inaugural Talent Development Think Tank Conference in January 2020, so I'm really excited to get her on. Prior to Calendly, Katie has held executive people leadership roles across a variety of tech companies, including Apple, Adobe, and GE. Katie pursued her career in HR and people following completion of the undergrad business and HR and masters of HR leadership programs at Michigan State University. And while at GE, she had the chance to travel and live around the world with notable expat experiences in Scotland and Italy. Katie's now based in San Francisco, but she runs a remote team with people all over the place. And that is something that we discuss in this conversation. We talked about how she built a new team from scratch there at Calendly in HR, the people team. We talked about how to keep a remote team connected and engaged and how Calendly has decided to do that even during hyper growth, going from 200 to 600 employees in the last year with almost all of them working remotely. I believe they got rid of their headquarters and have a remote first culture. We also talked about assessing needs and how to know where to put your resources when everyone is hungry and eager for learning and growth. And finally, we talked about how to influence stakeholders to build your new team and 
fund those training and development programs that you're putting together. This is a really great conversation, and I know you're going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Katie Purcell about building a new HR team in the remote world. All right, I'm joined now by Katie Purcell, who leads people teams at Calendly, which is one of my favorite applications that I use on a regular basis. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so excited to have you here. I think we first connected when you came to the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back in January 2020, right? Yeah, that's right. That was actually the last time I was in a live team gathering conference setting before the world kind of pivoted uh, just weeks later. But that said, that was such an impactful conference. The quality of people that I met, yourself included, and, and yeah. others and actually hired a member of my team uh, from meeting someone at that conference. So yes. uh, it was a fantastic opportunity with great people. I love that. It makes me so happy because, you know, I'm big on networking and connecting people. And that's what the conference is all about. That's why I go to conferences. That's why I host conferences. By the way, I don't know if you knew the next Talent Development Think Tank conference is coming up soon in February 2023. Okay. So I'll get you the info I after this. I did not know that. I will yeah, have to yeah, look at yeah. those details and see if we can do a bit of a reunion tour. I hope we can get you there. <laughs> and if you're listening to this, check our show notes for our website. It's tdtt.us slash conference. Just launched it recently and I'm really, really excited about it. But I want to get into you and the work you've been doing, Katie, because you've been doing a lot of really cool things at Calendly and student, including starting a whole new team, building a whole new team from scratch. But let's take a step back from there. You know, How did you get into HR and talent development? Yeah, great question. So I, I feel like I knew relatively early on that I wanted to be in business. And I went to Michigan State University and the first couple of years uh, in the business program, you do a survey course of finance and accounting and marketing and supply chain. And I had already done internships in high school, actually, in the HR function. And so, of course, given both my age and experience, I wasn't doing high-level impactful work, but it was my first exposure to the corporate HR function in an organization and sort of highlighting the value of optimizing people to build a fantastic culture and deliver for customers. So the time I was at Michigan State, I, I knew I wanted to be in business and, and there was a dedicated major around HR and people strategy. So I leaned into that heavily and had the opportunity to do a couple of cool internships. Um, and while I was interning for General Motors at the Renaissance Center in Detroit, Michigan, uh, the chief people officer met with our intern cohort and really talked about the progression of HR and people-related careers by pursuing an advanced degree in HR. And so I leapt full force into doing a master's program in HR, leadership development, et cetera. And then that opened the door for me um, at GE, which at the, the time, it's funny thinking about you know 15 plus years ago, the big players in the space that were hiring people leaders. GE was one of the preeminent companies that had spent decades defining the role of mm -hmm. the strategic people leader as a partner to the business, as an amplifier of talent and culture and opportunity. So that sort of started my early career and exposure in a big global organization that treated me phenomenally well. They moved me overseas. I did an international assignment in Aberdeen, Scotland, leading an integration of a company we had acquired. So had the opportunity to both do the cultural process and leadership side of integrating two companies. 
and then had the chance to go to Florence, Italy, leading HR for the sales and marketing organization, which further tapped into that global mindset. And GE's oil and gas business was headquartered in Florence. So I had the best of both worlds of being in a headquarters environment with leadership density, but in a non-US location that forced us to be really mindful about the global rollout of our approach. And then from there, pivoted out of sort of a big company manufacturing into tech and have done a stint with a couple of different cool tech companies from Apple and Adobe to Activision. And now, as you said, at Calendly. So that's probably 20 years in a nutshell. There you go. It's funny how you can like narrow that down and just go through 20 years in like two minutes. Uh, (laughs) But I know you learned a lot and accomplished a lot in that time. And you reminded me, you were talking about the last event before COVID. You reminded me I had a a business trip planned for a client workshop in Aberdeen, Scotland in March, oh, wow. of, March of 2020. And it never happened. Oh never, man, you'll have to get there at some point. Never it's made a it. I know. Country, great city and awesome people. Yeah, I know. I've still never been to Scotland. I've got to, I've, I had plans to go tour around with my friend who lives there, but uh, I'll get back over there at some point. So if yes. you're listening and you have a <laughs> workshop for me to lead and you need a speaker in Aberdeen, Scotland, I was curious because I mentioned Calendly is one of my favorite apps. I've been using it for, uh, I don't know, five years or so on a regular basis to schedule you know, podcast guests and client meetings and all kinds of stuff. I absolutely love using it. What was it about Calendly that attracted you to come work there? Yeah, I would say a couple of things. Um, One, it was a product and a use case that just made a ton of sense for people in our space. We're connecting frequently and we hear a lot about time being such a hot commodity and Mm -hmm. the effective management of time being something that really resonates for a lot of people. And even through my interview process, I remember how how funny it felt when the leader I was connecting with sent me the Calendly link to the CEO and was just like, yeah, Mm. pop on his calendar. And having been through more robust, you know, executive recruiting processes in my past, it was very foreign for me at first. Like, wait a minute, no one's going to shepherd my introduction and get yeah. me on his calendar and go back There's and no forth. Gatekeeper, with the same like, yeah, no well, gatekeeper. This doesn't work. Back and it was forth. just, I had, you know, live access to the CEO's calendar, which was cool and intimidating all at once. And then when I used the the product for the first time and just was able to schedule with someone, none of the back and forth, it, it really resonated for me on how easy that was in my line of work as a people leader, where members of my team are scheduling with candidates, scheduling with people like yourself for speaking events or conferences mm-hmm. and our sales teams, you know, really getting in front of their prospects and clients in a more efficient way. So the business just made a ton of sense for me. And then I'd say the size and scale. I mentioned, you know, working at GE early in my career, which was a 300,000 person company, huge organization. Of course, the business I was in uh, was smaller, but I've always been in multi-thousand person companies. And Calendly represented the opportunity to come into a much smaller, much earlier stage company, which means that I get to have my thumbprint on such a wider range of activities and be a part of our build. So rather than taking a well-defined process and rolling it out year over year with perhaps a few tweaks, we're really having the opportunity to define what 
what makes sense for us at our current size and stage and think through our evolution and growth. So I think the opportunity to be a part of a build really resonated with me and then the quality of of the people I met along the way. So from my leader, my boss who I work with, our leadership team, and the opportunity to, to bring people onto my team. I've had great followership with folks from my past wanting to hop on the train with me. Um, and for all of those reasons, it, it felt like a great opportunity. I did just celebrate my year anniversary recently. So I've been reflecting a lot on the why it made sense then and why it still makes sense now. Oh, that's very cool. I like it. And and I do love that. I've worked in big companies and I've worked for small companies and now I run a one or two person company. <laughs> and, and I think there's trade-offs, right? There's pros and cons to all those things. But it's exciting to be in a smaller company where you can really feel like everything you do makes an impact and a difference and you're really shaping the future, especially a growth company. So let's go to that because what I really wanted to talk about was sort of building new HR teams and you've come in and started to build everything that you've been doing for scratch, right? So tell me about your philosophy when it comes to building a new team. Yeah, it's been a great opportunity. And so much credit goes to uh, to to my boss who came in as the, the first CPO and really had line of sight to to building and supporting the development of, of teams that would help us grow and scale. So I think that was a big part of it. When I reflect on some of my previous experiences, there's not always that readiness of what a growing and mature people team can look like over time. So I'd say one of the big things was the commitment we've had from from our CEO, from members of our leadership team to really see the value and impact of our work such that we got the budget, the headcount, the resources to start to put it into play. So I'd say that's step one. And actually someone in my network said that to me when I was taking my first chief people officer role. They said, make sure that what the, the leadership team and the CEO tells you they're willing to support is truly what they'll equip you with when you get there. And because sometimes sometimes what you learn in an interview and what you realize once you're there don't always match up. So I'd say that would be a big lesson learned. But specifically coming into the organization, when I joined, we had just crossed crossed the 200 person mark from a headcount standpoint. We were you know under 100 million from a revenue standpoint, but had a, a great growth curve, both on revenue and headcount. So we knew, we knew we were already on a rocket ship and that though I joined in 2020, 21, uh, Calendly also had really strong use cases in a post-COVID landscape when so much of scheduling had to be done remotely and, and getting time with people. So a ton of opportunity there. And I think for my world, building out the business partner capability. So giving functional aligned people business partners to our leaders to really amplify their efforts with their teams and have that sort of dedicated mini chief people officer, I'd say was one of the key steps. The, the part that's near and dear to your heart is the learning and talent development piece. So the organization had a ton of appetite, but no resources. So there was there was no one doing L&D at the time, but we knew it was something that as we sort of crossed that 250 employee mark and, and wanting to focus on career development and learning opportunities and how we scale, we knew that would become important for us. And then the other side of my world has been building out the operations, technology, and analytics footprint within the people space. So I think it came down to having sort of line of sight to the growth we wanted to enable over time, the scale of the organization, and the support of our leaders to make the investment, as I mentioned, in budget, in headcount, in resourcing. So that has been the probably the biggest focus in my first year. Yeah. Let's talk about getting budget and resources because this requires influence, right? 
And you're talking about an organization growing from 200 to 250 people. In my experience, could be wrong, we're talking to lots of people from lots of different organizations. Most organizations, I don't see really investing in much learning and development before, say, four or 500 employees, right? Yeah. So it, it sounds like you've been there earlier than most. And I would assume that's a product of you know the influence that you and your chief people officer have, as well as the leadership and the CEO probably believing in the importance of investing in learning development. Because you're, at that point, you, you've got to get your CEO and CFO on board, right? So can you talk about that yeah. process? Yeah. And I think the other factor you mentioned is the health of the business. I definitely think that when when it's a healthy business with a strong run rate, it, it becomes an easier use case to demonstrate the value of the investment to further amplify our growth and scale. Um, and so I think that that was a big part of it for me as well, particularly in a post-COVID landscape, seeing some of the the headwinds companies were going to be facing, the economic or financial pressures, that it was really important for me knowing the bodies of work that I would be driving are all about making investments in people and investments in scale. It is easier to do that in an organization that isn't con concerned or having to penny pinch. So I will say that I would be remiss not to mention the reality of the health of the business helping that use case, yep. but then the readiness and appetite of the leaders. As I mentioned, our CEO, and, and he's a founder CEO as well. So anything for him, his people, the culture, the opportunity to build something amazing resonates in a way he's got the pride of ownership and sort of this is this is mine. And how do I amplify that? Mm -hmm. Not to say that in non-founder led companies I've worked in, we haven't had that same focus. I've been fortunate that I've always built very strong relationships with CEO and CFO and sort of that tripod of decision making or that mm -hmm. tripod of influence ensure that we're aligned on the opportunity ahead, the investments we want to make, and sort of the responsibility that, that we have to be thoughtful in, in where and how we make those investments. But I would say yeah. the health of the business, a willing and excited uh, CEO, and an organization, candidly, that had a ton of appetite. One of the things so I, I mentioned mm -hmm. to you, I hired my L&D leader, having met him at the Talent Development Think Tank in January 2020. One of the things he and I talk about all the time is that the organization had so much appetite for learning. Mm -hmm. And now we have to be so thoughtful about what we serve up when. So we yeah, went sort yeah. of from starving to now having a full buffet and having to be thoughtful that, that we're not overwhelming or stuffing folks all at once. But yep. to your point around the influence, the partnership, I think it's been building. It's it's having the momentum of desire in the organization, the benefit of the financial resources to support it, and the appetite from the organization and, and leaders that believe in the value we're bringing. So mm. I'd say those are the couple of things that have helped us influence along the way. Yeah. I want to drill down for a second on, you mentioned building relationships with the CEO and CFO. And these are, you know, probably the two most influential people in terms of like the purse strings and resources and all that sort of stuff, decision-making strategy. And you're in a smaller organization, right? So, but I'm, I'm curious if you have advice or thoughts on how to best go build relationships with those influential stakeholders. I'm sure if you're at like a GE, you're probably not walking into the CEO's <laughs> office, right? In a smaller organization, it's obviously you have more access generally, but still you, you've got to provide value to them, right? Present something that they're going to be interested in. Otherwise they have more important things to do. 
Yeah, it's funny you say that. And one quick aside is early in my career when I worked at GE, one of the requirements as part of the HR executive leadership program I was on was that we did a cross-functional role outside of HR, outside of the people function to get that broader business acumen. And coincidentally, I did my rotation in finance. So the CFO mm. of the business I was in tapped me with, with joining his team and, and sort of pivoting my knowledge of HR and really then doing a, a financial planning and analysis role. And I will, I will admit that I didn't love moving from a very people and facilitation and org development oriented role into sort of spending a ton of time in a spreadsheet. It was a painful pivot at the time, but I am so grateful that I had that experience because it really, in a company like GE or a startup or a tech company, oftentimes finance is the language of the business. Now, ideally in the work that I'm doing, I'm also saying that people in development and mm -hmm. opportunity is the language of the business, but let's not fool ourselves to your yeah. point around that he who holds the, he or she who holds the purse strings, hold the power. You want to yeah. get in good with that organization. And so I think years later, what has helped me build strong relationships with my CFO or finance partners is the shared understanding. And what I try to really feel out is ensuring we're on the same wavelength in some page. Some finance organizations can look at people as a cost to the business. It's the mm -hmm. biggest line item of base cost expense. Yeah. And when leaders approach the business that way, I know it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle to influence where we can align. Other leaders, I've had a number of finance leaders that I've worked with that really view investments in people. So rather than just a base mm -hmm. cost line item, they view the investments we're making and our growth, our capability, our scale. So I think, you know, having spent time in that FP&A land and having to be very thoughtful about. I was in a business that uh, at the time wasn't doing particularly well. So we had to be very thoughtful about the, the people and team investments that we were making that over time, I think when I, when I've shown up and had that appreciation and understanding that has certainly helped with that credibility factor. So I guess my other uh, advice or tagline is leaning into business decisions and business drivers so that mm -hmm. we have the full perspective of, of who mm -hmm. we're trying to influence and how. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Katie, you're building this team in 2021, 2022 in a tech company where I imagine a lot of people are working remotely, right? Yeah. What's your approach to identifying the right mix of skills, experience, and chemistry really to build a fully remote team? Yeah, that that chemistry piece is so important. So I'd say when I when I first came on board, when I first knew I was taking this role, I immediately just went through my network and thought, okay, there's a number of roles I know I'm going to have to get up off the ground first in order in order to be successful and scale. And I mentioned the company was about 200 when I joined, but we've tripled in size in mm. just a year. So we're we're over the 600 person mark now. Wow. And knowing that was going to be our likely path, I knew I'd need to bring in some key folks. So I would say leaning into my own network helped. And I was able to bring on a phenomenal business partner as my first hire. She and I just reflected this week that I interviewed her my first week, connected her with our leadership team and other members of that interview panel early on. And she had an offer by, by the Friday of my first week and started uh, subsequently thereafter. So I think Amazing. having that one, like getting that one win, over win. The line yeah. really helped and got the credibility of the quality and caliber of talent and in the, the focus areas I was building for the team. And then was able to bring on additional business partners that, that was sort of the tip of the spear, really creating alignment with 
the business first on the value of having a function or client group aligned uh, business partner function, because we serve as many chief people officers for the business. We can lean into the learning. We can lean into compensation, recruiting opportunities, diversity, et cetera. So I'd say that was step one, but a quick follow on was that talent development and learning and development role. And so similarly, I, I spoke with a number of people in my network, a number of people that I met at the talent development think tank. And we went through a pretty robust uh, interview process that included a project, sort of someone's first pass at the, the their L&D roadmap and where they really wanted to lean in. And uh, Jeff on my team, who became the successful candidate, just the connection, the chemistry, you mentioned that chemistry. And one of the things I love about partnering with, with Jeff is that we can sort of geek out in this space. I've mentioned to you, I own a couple of different pieces of the employee experience or people mm-hmm. journey. But the one that excites me the most is the learning and talent development. So I also had to be really honest with him. Like, I know I've got other parts of my world. I'm going to lean into your space because mm. it excites me and because yeah. it's the fun, the fun side. You know, there are other aspects of the people function that yeah. are the operational build that are important, but I don't get as jazzed about the compliance we, side. We all, talent we all know talent development. We all know talent development. Exactly. And so I wanted to know that he and I had that chemistry to sort of be thought partners and sort of operate in the early days as two in the box. And as we've kind of grown and scaled that function together, he's up and running, he's hired his team, he's doing phenomenally well. But the chemistry, I think, is the part not to underestimate. And then to your point, I've hired 13 people in the last 12 months. And so being really thoughtful and purposeful about the skills and experiences that people come with that Calendly and our, our teams will benefit, but the agility to not just apply the playbook from the last company. I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons learned is that while the value of the learnings are transferable and the awareness of where the landmines are, I think is really critical of like, oh, been there before, don't want to blow that one up. Let's be thoughtful. But I think, you know, I could not implement GE's playbook at Calendly and have it be successful. They are inherently different organizations, cultures, stages of growth and maturity. And so I think the other big awareness as I've hired and, and brought people onto my team is hiring them for their capability to help us build over time, but their willingness to roll up their sleeves and sort of be with us on the 200 to 600 to 1,000 plus person journey. So I'd yeah. say those those have been some of my key focus areas and the team has really leaned into that as well. That's cool. It sounds like everybody's pretty much working remotely. Fully. How do you, this, and this is the challenge that most of us are, are dealing with, right? Across different organizations. How do you keep people connected and engaged? Do you try to get people together at any point? Is it regular meetings, touch points? Like, how do you, how do, you do that? Yeah, we, we, Calendly was very purposeful in the early days of sort of being thrust into a working model. Mm. Calendly took full opportunity to really lean in and say, wait a minute, we see this as a huge opportunity for us to access talent where they want to live and work, not necessarily to the, you know, metros they're, they're tied to. And so Calendly gave up. We were historically headquartered in Atlanta and we gave up our physical offices in Atlanta and broadened our hiring horizons to anywhere in the U.S. We have plans to go global, but but for now it was it was sort of a U.S. Uh, first focus. And we sort of came up with the concept that we would be fully remote in a remote first, but not a remote only context. 
And so what that means is your primary experience is remote working from home, or if your home office is not conducive because you have a working uh, roommate or partner or spouse or kids or pets creating distraction, we've given everyone access to, to co-working spaces in their local markets, if that's beneficial to them. And then we early on committed that we would gather live twice a year as a full company and then let smaller teams gather uh, on off quarters. And so we had our first all company gathering in Atlanta. We decided to go back to our roots where the company was founded and in mm. sort of the early days. And um, when we brought, it was over 500 people to Atlanta over the summer and, and really leaned into shared goals, shared commitments, scaling our culture and values, getting pumped for the future. But that's really how we've been purposeful about a remote first culture, a commitment to in-person gatherings. We're getting ready to do it again in January in Palm Springs. And then keeping the cadence and rhythm of our monthly all hands that our that our CEO and leadership team lead. We have you know frequent product updates over Zoom. We've launched a number of belonging groups, our diversity sort of employee resource groups. My team and I are very purposeful that we we have uh, the right rhythm around business meetings. And then a m- member of my team, Nayantara, actually the first business partner I hired, is really good at reminding me about the funtivity side of it. That mm. it's not always just about the business meeting, but sometimes just the team gathering the way we would have done in a live environment with a team happy hour or team lunch. So being purposeful in all of those areas. That's awesome. I like that. Glad you're you're getting people together because I think people do still really want that. They value that, right? Same reason. We do. We do still really crave that. And even when I think about my own remote work experience, I live in San Francisco for seven years. I had a pretty painful commute, commuting down to Cupertino or Mountain right. View or San Jose. And anyone in the Bay Area knows that's not an ideal yeah. commute. And but it was the value of living in a great city and commuting to where my company had their their density. Remote work really opened up a whole whole new quality of life and flexibility for me, but with perhaps the downside of, of that, the, the more restricted or fewer in-person interactions. And when I think about where my adult friendships have come from, they've come from work. They've mm. come from my overseas travel, from my in-person meetings, from team events where you, you meet a great colleague along the way. So for all the benefits of remote work, one of my observations has been, wow, I'm sort of in this uh, remote office at home and I have to be that much more purposeful about building building those remote and in-person friendships when we do meet live or when I do leverage other networks to ensure both that info sharing and camaraderie along the way. Yeah, I like that. I have so many friends from all those events and working and different companies and all the places that I've been as well. That's how we make Yeah, I've followed your travels. You tend to tie in your uh, your cross-country travel with oh. people you meet along the way. So that's really cool. You got to have fun wherever you go. At least that's my philosophy, right? If I'm going to be somewhere for, you know, I, I want to have friends in every city. I want to connect with them. COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat. It's known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. 
To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to advantageperformance.com. That's advantageperformance.com. Katie, you mentioned earlier that the data was showing that people at Calendly were really hungry for learning and development for growth. Like there was there was a strong hunger for it. People wanted it, right? And you know you want to provide some of that, but you can't do everything, right? So how do you assess what's important, what's the top priority, what you're going to address and what you're going to provide, knowing that you, you can't necessarily do everything? Yeah, that's a key one. Um, one of the things we realized early on was that people leaders, the, the manager in the organization, the managers in the organization are force multipliers for the culture values, the experience we want to create for people. So when when Jeff on my team and I were first thinking about, you know, where do we have the biggest impact from a learning? Of course, we want to touch the whole organization and create learning opportunities for everyone. But if we had to be thoughtful with time, resources, energy, when Jeff joined my team, he was a one-man show. I committed to him. We'll get you a team over time. But for now, you and I have to roll up our sleeves and figure it out. And we really felt like investing seeing in our people leaders helped us scale our impact. And so I'd say that was one of the first areas when, to your point, when we're in a fully remote environment, that trust and chemistry and partnership you have with your leader is so important to an individual's feeling of, you know, safety in the organization, understanding of the goals and priorities, follow through on results and outcomes. So I'd say that was one of the first areas for us. We really leaned into manager development and have offered a number of learning solutions at different levels of leadership. So also really realizing that first time people leaders have different needs Mm -hmm. um, in the organization of stepping into their first time people leader role. And then on the flip side, we've curated a broader leadership team, realizing that decisions in the organization are made, are influenced, are uh, facilitated by more than just our CEO. And so we curated uh, a leadership team of sort of the heads of functions and have been really thoughtful about investing in that group, sort of leading from the middle, where you both have to influence up to the C-suite of the organization Mm -hmm. and drive clarity and vision and change processes down through the organization. So we've sort of touched the manager journey in a couple of different areas through cohort-based learning, sort of what you and I have talked about. We heard Josh Burson speak about this at the talent development think tank, but that concept of learning in the flow of work, and we may not have the opportunity to do a three or five day learning. So how can we do hour-long sessions over the course of several weeks, keep it connected to the reality of, of the day job. So, so the manager journey was a big part of that. And now we're leaning in more to company-wide learning, individual-wide learning through, through tools, through re- resources. Jeff and team are curating some awesome content. Um, but I'd say the other big focus area for us has been on career development. So not guessing what matters for people, but really asking them to tell us and tell their leaders and open up that conversation. We've been very thoughtful about not having taking ownership of your, over your own career feel taboo or uncomfortable or, or, you know, just not something that leaders and individuals are willing 
willing to lean into. So career development has been a big focus for us. And actually, um, Christine DiDonato, who I also met at your uh, offsite, led a session for us as well. And, and the whole concept was your current role is a major part of your career development. I think what we sometimes see or sometimes the expectation is that career development comes when I get promoted or take a new job or get more money. And while those are aspects of career mobility and growth and development and recognition for awesome work, we also realize we're in a hyper growth company, fully remote, creating new tools for our customers to new resources, new ways of working in this sort of new paradigm. And that so much of your current role is a major contributor to your growth and development. And we opened up that conversation across the organization. So those are the couple of things we've been focused on as well. That's great. I, you know, the last thing I was going to ask you about was your philosophy on career development and how you approach that with a company that's in hyper growth mode, where people are like running around doing multiple things. And yet they're also thinking in the back of their mind, well, where is this going for me? Right? Where is my career going? How am I going to grow? What's the next level for me? And a lot of people are moving into first time manager roles. And now you need managers to support, you know, support their people with their careers. You mentioned the idea of people owning their careers, which, you know, I'm a big fan yeah, of. I see your working, poster. <laughs> right. With poster behind me, working with Christine, which is great on accelerating, you know, career success. So can you tell me more about what do you tell people? What's the philosophy on career development, making sure people have the right resources that they can access to be able to continue to grow in their careers? Yeah. So a couple of things. I'd say one of the things I've always been focused on in my role as a people leader is that we play a role in enablement, not enforcement. So I think as soon as, you know, as soon as we were rolling out a practice or asking folks to engage in career development conversations, as soon as it feels like an HR check the box exercise or activity, people disengage or they do just enough to get by. So if we forced career development conversations as sort of a process you have to do, we become enforcers. And I, I want to carry more the enablement. I want the coach's whistle, not the like crossing guard whistle. So right. the, the coach's whistle for me is create the environment that embraces and opens up the opportunity for meaningful career development. Jeff and team in my organization have been really focused on development plans and resources and sort of the enablement of how to help folks engage in these conversations in a meaningful way. So I'd say one of my philosophies is around enablement, not enforcement. And if we see individuals or leaders not leaning into it, we don't go with the stick to say, why aren't you doing it? We come with the curiosity to say, what's getting in the way? Where is it complicated or complex? Where are you not comfortable either as a manager or an individual leaning into this space? And then we leverage our business partners and our talent development team to help support that. So enablement, not enforcement is a key thing for me. I think the other one, and this is maybe a little bit more controversial, everyone wants to be handed a career path. Like, right. I think people want the prescriptive map that I'm here. And if I want to get to any of these various points on the map, this is the curated path to get there. And I think... You know, I think back on my own career journey and I I never had the map. What I did have was leaders willing to invest in my development 
a network of people I could rely on and leaders that pushed me out of my comfort zone. I will say that going to Aberdeen, Scotland, when I was 25 to lead an integration was not a traditional role that that the organization, you know, had to give me nor that I had to say yes to. It was such a development opportunity and the organization had to realize that part of that was going to be my own learning in addition to the to the you know value the organization was going to get out of it same thing with my role in Italy i initially went as a maternity cover for a leader who was going to be taking her maternity leave and it created an internal rotation opportunity for me so i think when i reflect on that there was never a defined path there was a willingness to explore even the finance role i will say the finance role mm-hmm. was you know um not not what i thought i would be doing and at times was was painful to be spending all day in spreadsheets and reconciling every penny of cost. But 15 years later, you know, my my uh, knowledge, both in Excel and understanding the mechanics of the business was so valuable. So if I were to give my own team, our own company and others any advice, it's being willing not to expect someone to hand you a career path or what it takes to climb the ladder. One of the things we've talked a lot about is thinking about our career as a virtual rock wall. And there are moments you have to reach laterally to get yourself on the path that allows you to take that next step up. Sometimes you might even take a slip slightly down into the left in order to get to that next, you know, rock on the wall that helps you get your fingers in the right grip. So I do think there's that element of the willingness to try a couple of different things along the way and not, I think, taking the ownership. So you you have your, your book and your focus on owning your career, owning your life. What matters for me is what matter is different than what might matter for people on my team. Yeah. And so you think having that self-awareness and team awareness of open conversations about where we're all at on our life and career journeys and how we can support that. I love that. And I agree. You know, a lot of people are waiting. When I wrote my book, I observed so many people drifting in their careers, operating in reaction mode, waiting for someone else to tell them what to do or where to go. And nobody knows what's best for you. Nobody knows what you truly want, right? It's about really taking ownership and setting a vision for you and then being proactive, having a conversation with your manager, whoever it is, right? And figuring out what that roadmap, that plan looks like and, and making it for yourself. Now, I know it's a lot of pressure on employees. People don't always know what they want to do, but that kind of develops over time, just like it has for you and it has for me yeah. as well. Katie, this has been a fantastic conversation. I so appreciate you coming on to share everything that you did today. And I look forward to talking with you more in the future. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Andy. This was a lot of fun. All right. Take care. Thanks. All right. That will do it for my conversation with Katie Purcell about building a new HR team in the remote world. I hope you got value from that conversation. And whether you're building a new team or you have a team and you're looking for ways to better engage them and assess needs of your people and maybe influence stakeholders to get more done in the learning and development field. And as you heard Katie and I mention, I do have a conference coming up. The Talent Development Think Tank Conference is coming up on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. And you can be there You can find all the information, including getting your tickets and the ticket options by going to tdtt.us slash conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. It is going to be the event in talent development. We have some amazing speakers and facilitators lined up and the people that will be there is what it's all about. And you don't want to miss it. So again, tdtt.us slash 
conference. This podcast is also sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is a professional services firm dedicated to providing a continuous stream of creative learning and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Now, Advantage was a key partner in the last conference that we ran in January 2020. We had a lot of great facilitators from Advantage there, including Brent Snow, Kelly Dujois, Christine DiDonato, Julie Winkle Giulioni, Ed Musio, and more. And people absolutely loved all of the sessions they went through at the conference and might have a couple of them back. We will see, still working on planning for the conference. But I know that you can get access to see all the resources and solutions they have by going to the Advantage website, which is advantageperformance.com. All right. Thank you again for listening and stay tuned. My next episode will be my bonus Q&A round with Katie Purcell. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.